In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com to get 5% off your first purchase with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for 5% off your first purchase. Betches Media presents... Madam Speaker... Madam Vice President. You want to hang out with us? You get your vaccine. Vaccine, vaccine. And so I went to Human Resources. There are some things I just can't tell you uh, on air. The Betches Sup Podcast. A woman's problem, if you will. Hello, everybody. It's Amanda. And today I'm back for a special bonus episode. The subject matter is timely because it's about how you can sustain pressure on those in power to help evacuate vulnerable Afghans, who many of whom are now refugees. You're also going to hear more about what's at stake directly from a woman in Afghanistan who our guest today spoke to and is generously allowing us to share an excerpt of. So to discuss all this, we have, I'm so excited, Jessica Yellen. She is the award-winning journalist and founder of News Not Noise. She was also the chief White House correspondent for CNN in Washington, D.C. from 2011 to 2013. Welcome and thank you for connecting and making time during what has been, I mean, tireless. When do you sleep? I know it is uh, such an exhausting period, but worse for the people in Afghanistan. So yeah, me going. Absolutely. So I want to talk about your your coverage of this because you are covering this on News Not Noise and you're kind of like helping change the game for news on Instagram, but you have a pretty traditional news background. You've been covering the U.S. Story, the story of the U.S. withdrawal and the Taliban, Taliban takeover in great detail this week. And you're obviously a seasoned journalist, a former White House correspondent. So I have two questions to start. One, I'm curious if this is a story you feel a personal connection to because of your prolonged coverage. You welcomed a series of incredible guests this week that I was wondering if you had uh, relationships with and, and what it's if, if you activated immediately because you just know the stakes of this story from covering it for so long. It's a great question. And um, yeah, you know, when I first got to Washington, I think uh, my as a reporter, my first story was inside the Pentagon covering um, preparations for Iraq. Wow. Uh, and I got to the White House to cover Bush's second term. That was my first full rotation at the White House. And the story was Iraq and Afghanistan. I've spent mm-hmm. hours, days, weeks, months, years of my life on this story. I actually always covered the political end, so I've never covered the war on the ground. But all those people you saw me interview this week, so many of them are people I came up with yeah. and they have. And, you know, like I was thinking about it, my my best friend's wedding I missed because it was the night Bush ar- announced the surge in Iraq. Wow. You know, so there's like all these weird overlaps. But now I- I'm you know, we can do all I can do is think about the people who are being left behind. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm also curious what it's been like to cover this huge international story this time via social media instead of a more institutionalized publisher. It's such an interesting um, push pull because, you know, I watch Clarissa Ward from CNN or Richard Engel at NBC, and what they do is astonishing and important work. And it's all made possible because they have this apparatus that can go in, right? And I just want to tell everybody listening, like when you watch them, they do have this machine behind them that protects them. And this is when those organizations are just majestic. What they can do, I can't tell you, the White House is watching those people to see what the media is bringing in. Like it's very important work they're doing. Um, 
And when you're out here is just doing it on your own in social media, I don't have that. What I do have is the freedom to say things a little differently. And one of the questions I've come up against is how much do I want to advocate as a journalist to help get people out? Is that my place or not? And I used to think it wasn't, but in my new role, I think it's, it is, and it's, it's what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So your page is called news, not noise for a reason. You break down headlines into the pieces that people need to know about without the noise of punditry or political posturing. In your view, how should people consume information about Afghanistan? What are good sources and what are red flags? Great. I want to say one thing, which is people can follow me at Jessica Yellen, even though I call it not noise. If you want to follow me, it's my name. Um, And so I think that the thing to do is to look at sources who are on the ground. So I named some. There's also an organization called Task and Purpose, which is covers military, but from a not institutional perspective, sort of how veterans feel. Um, And there's some other places I can point you to photojournalists. The larger thing I would suggest to people is there's a lot of coverage right now that's about the politics. Um, Who got us here? Why was it why is it going so badly? Um, who's to blame? All of that can be litigated for months and years to come. But we are in a unique moment right now where on August 31st, we pull up the drawbridge and we leave behind all these people who believed in us and to whom we made commitments for 20 years. And we have a rare opportunity to make a difference in the remaining days because what you and I and Americans do right now can actually change what our politicians decide is necessary. And it's a question of whether people want to raise their voice to stand up and and put that kind of pressure on our leaders. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned advocacy before, so this brings me to my next question. So we connected to discuss specific ways um, to ensure this is top of mind for people who can actually do something. And that is usually our elective leaders. Early in the week, we had Moshe Wununuan. We sort of wondered out loud if calling your reps is the best thing to do right now. Are their phone lines caught up? Like, what should we do? And you wanted to reiterate that this is a really important part of putting on pressure. Why is pressuring your elected representatives so key now? And will that continue to be something we need to do beyond August 31st? I think it is an important move right now. And I just want to say in the past, I don't advocate for issues like political issues in the yeah. U.S. But in this, as America, we told people, put your neck on the line for us. And I keep thinking, like, has anybody watched the movie, like the TV show Homeland or any of these movies where the person you're rooting for is like cornered and they need that one person to walk in the door and say, we got the plane is coming. This is the plane is coming for you. And it's up to us to make those planes show up. So I'm going to give you like a long winded answer, but it's important. I'm talking to activists and to nonprofit leaders and to people who spend a lot of time in and out of Afghanistan. And what they're telling me is that they have people ready to go. They have airplanes ready to get there. The disconnect is the bureaucracy. They need to be able to get the paperwork, to get the insurance, to get that plane to say, okay, I'll fly in, and then the clearance to land on the runway. And they need the papers to, they need the people to be alerted, you're safe to travel now, get to Mm -hmm. the airport now. All those things are things we need the US government bureaucracy to do. And if it's not getting done, it means they need more pressure. Now, to be clear, this does not mean that they're not trying hard. People at state and Pentagon and the White House obviously care. The question is, how 
high are you turning up the heat to make sure it gets done? And what we know to date is that the pressure has not been high enough for them to do it before now. There were many warnings for months and months saying, please start evacuations long ago. Please get people preparations long ago. And it didn't happen. So clearly they didn't feel enough pressure. So the question is, do you want to make sure that pressure stays on them? These people have comments lined. It's not like they can't get out. Everybody uses a private cell phone for their own calls. You know, bombarding the congressional office with phone calls only what happens is they literally get a list of this many people called and that becomes the top issue for the member to advocate on. Mm -hmm. So I, I can only tell you that the people I'm talking to say the best thing people can do is keep the calls coming let their elected leaders know they want this done. They want everyone who wants to get out to have the ability to get out. And then you can support aid organizations. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's really good to know. I I have seen some members start to sort of, frankly, like flex the people they've been able to help. And that does kind of feel like, okay, the incentives are, are kind of good or correct right now, like push them because now they want to be able to say that, um, that they're helping, but you're right. I mean, we, we weren't, people weren't pushing for the past couple of months. So there's no reason to think that, you know, these issues, especially geopolitical ones, they can flare up and fade and flare up and fade. And our attention span is pretty short. But yeah, I think it's important for people to know that like our elected representatives, some of them might be counting on a short attention span so they can move on to other things and we exactly. can't let them do that. Yeah. And it's not that much work, like until no. August 31st. Can you make a couple calls? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, American Fever Dream listeners, I'm here to tell you that there is no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Because now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy is here to take the stress out of gifting so you can find the perfect item for anyone for any occasion. And it's easy. You just tap or click Gift Mode in your Etsy app or Etsy.com and then answer a few questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you a curated gift idea list based on hundreds of personas. Now it is simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a Mother's Day gift for the quilter or a birthday present for the vintage hunter, there is something for everyone on Etsy. Some of my favorite things to do are go to Etsy gift mode and then search absurd things like what kind of gifts do you have with Walter Cronkite on them? What kind of gifts do you have for dachshund owners? There's jewelry, ceramic, toys, board games, all kinds of fun stuff. A gifting moment is always right around the corner, whether it's a birthday, an anniversary, a holiday, or even just a day to say thank you. Gift mode on Etsy has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try gift mode on Etsy now. Today's episode of American Fever Dream is brought to you by Newly. Have you ever felt that fast fashion ick, but can't always afford the super high-end stuff? I have a solution for you. It's Newly. Newly has everything you need to bring your closet up to speed for the season without breaking the bank. Free your closet of impulse purchases and skip the buyer's remorse by renting instead. Newly is a subscription rental service, and for just $98 a month, you get your choice of any six styles. They also have inclusive sizing up to 5X, as well as petite and maternity. You get fast, free shipping and returns and professional cleaning and newly state-of-the-art laundering facility. No laundry for you to worry about. This is the best. You just put it back in your box, send it out, and before you know it, you've got your next one. And you always have the option to buy what you love for sometimes up to 75% off. I bought the Rachel Antonoff pasta puffer from them. I was obsessed with it, like everybody who tries it is, and it was completely sold out everywhere else. So I felt like I really, really had an in there. So thank you, Newly. 
Newly is an amazing value at $98 a month for any six styles. And right now you can get $20 off your first month of Newly when you sign up with the code FeverDream20. Just go to N-U-U-L-Y.com. That's Newly with two U's and enter the code FeverDream20 and sign up to get $20 off your first month. That's N-U-U-L-Y.com. Newly with two U's with code FeverDream20. Newly subscription clothing rental. Change your clothes. To speak briefly on the politics, what do you think are the political incentives right now for the people in power, for them to say, for them to do? I think that, you know, there's there's these two pieces to it. One is that why did we exit? Was that the right decision? Yeah. Right. In the politics. And then it, there's the what to do next. Um, so, you know, I interviewed this one war vet um, who became a CIA analyst, really deep thinker about Afghanistan. And he said um, the U.S. never missed an opportunity to make a mistake in Afghanistan. And he highlighted three things. He said George Bush got us in there without enough troops to make a difference. Barack Obama surged troops to actually almost defeat the Taliban, drive out ISIS and al-Qaeda elements, but did it while announcing our departure. So we, we finally went in with the force, but told the enemy, just wait it out and you can come back. Um, Donald Trump made a peace agreement with the Taliban, which is nothing short of astonishing, shocking, right? Like we wouldn't sit down and negotiate with ISIS. Unbelievable. Um, and then Biden decided to withdraw without an effective exit plan and without evacuating American personnel, allies, or creating a contingency to protect Kabul as evacuations are underway. So every single president has made a crucial mistake many mistakes. And history will remember all of this as deeply flawed. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So yesterday you published a about 25 minute interview with a woman in Afghanistan that you and she have, as I said, so generously agreed to let us share an excerpt at the end of this conversation. Jessica, this interview rattled me more than I expected. Um, and that's why I wanted to share it. I think we have this perspective, and this is problematic, but I think we have this perspective in the West that women in certain regions are just sort of used to a certain level of oppression. But hearing this woman's reaction to her world turning upside down, it's the same as mine would be. It's the same as yours would be. Like her life is just as rich and full and she's losing so much. This is a person who works at a job every day, who had a social life, who has dreams for herself, who kind of swears a lot and has strong opinions, just mm -hmm. like me. And I'm sure a lot of people that listen and the way she described her sense of fear and what she's lost, it's how any of us would feel. She's no less devastated because she happened to be living this full life in the Middle East. I mean, a lot of what I've heard in this conversation that past week is like, how did we how did everybody knew this was coming? But she says, I did not see this coming. I am completely shocked that this happens. So to sort of reframe it as like imagining myself not expecting this, this at all was really rattling. Were, what for, was there anything from your interview with her that surprised you? Yeah. I, I was struck by how much she's a part of the global community and her own exactly. mind and her experience. Like one of the things, the time she got most upset was she said to me, I can't believe. And then she started naming individuals she follows on social media. Why haven't they posted about us? Like I follow and and I couldn't publish the whole interview. So some of it's not there, but um, she's like, we had a George Floyd mural here in Kabul. Yeah. We marched for BLM. We got upset about the tech Gaza and Israel. Like 
where's the world rising up for us on social? So this is a person who was like, she's cool. She says F you to like, you know, and she had a vision of herself as like a badass power career woman who's a feminist. And now she's like, I wish I could just move to an island and, and wash dogs. Yeah. Um, I'm exhausted. She said to me um, that she hadn't been able to bathe or shower for three days because she was in such a state of shock because it was, I mean, it's cliche, but it was like doing your life. And then all of a sudden a handmaid's tale reality yeah. shows up on your doorstep. And I've messaged with her since. And she said she finally, after a few days, has left the house for the first time with her dad. But um, they saw a Taliban in the in neighbor's house and he made them turn around and go back home. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Wow. I, that was another one of my questions for you, which was. You, as we mentioned, you've been a journalist for a long time. And, you know, in this interview, you can hear her grasping to understand, like, why the global community so easily turns its head and why their humanity seems to be lost on so many. As a journalist who covers geopolitical conflicts, what what is different about this? Why, why do you think that uh, the global community has a harder time grasping? I, I don't want to use Palestine as a parallel, but there is always sustained attention on that area. And for some reason, why do you think it is that the people of Afghanistan have been left in this position? Why, why hasn't the global community rallied until now? It's such a good question. And I struggle with it. Um, I think that first, you know, the Israel-Palestine story has unique dynamics that make it always of interest to the sure. world. Um, I think that in Afghanistan, to a large extent, it's become part of the background noise where, oh, there's always trouble in Afghanistan. Like, it's always a problem. Right. And, and it's hard to understand, um, all the complexities. So part of it is just like, we've made it white noise that we tune out. Another is we're not seeing a lot of video. And I really do think like, if we're not having video to circulate on social or put up on TV, we're not seeing the faces and the stories in the same way. And it's a reflection of the fact that the Taliban is blacking things out. Like people have been telling me they're collecting cell phones around the countryside. So, you know, it's not like you can post your video. And then why do you want to post your video to call attention to yourself when the Taliban is going to, they literally tell women, you may not leave the house ever. Like they live, once the Taliban, once that veil comes down, they live on lockdown. Like we did through COVID for one year for the rest of their life. Yeah. I mean, it's, So I do think it's a lack of visual stories in the media and then our general cynicism and numbness to it's always bad. But what I'm trying to remind people is these are like vibrant people like us who put their necks out because of us help save the lives of my friends. Like I have so many friends who've been there and they're like, my interpreter told us to get out now and I would have been dead if he hadn't. And now that guy is stuck on the wrong side of the airport fence. And all we need to do is stick out our hand and get him over. Mm-hmm. So we can make a difference. And, and it is our story too. Yeah, absolutely. One thing that she said that was so, and I, we've sort of discussed this on the podcast throughout the week, just coming to, to grips with the fact that like she said, she's like, everybody has to leave. I want to leave. We all have to go. This isn't a, this isn't a place for us now. And something she said that was very devastating to me was that she had never wanted to be an immigrant. Mm. She, she, she said, I know how immigrants are treated. I never wanted to be in this position. It's just layer after layer of what she's considering and just how every factor of her life has been compounded by all of the failures that had nothing to do with her. Yeah. That's so well put by you totally. And and she could tell how upside down she felt. I sometimes talk about scrambled eggs, Mm -hmm. brains when you're like, 
everything's too much at once. And Mm -hmm. that's why she's like, I can't shower. I just want, I'm so tired. Like it's because, and she kept saying, if it were just me, it'd be one thing, but my family. So I, you know, she's an outspoken person who's really stuck her neck out, but her family isn't like that. And she knows that they can be in danger because of what she's done. Mm -hmm. So she feels a special duty to make something happen for everyone and get them all out. Um, And then, you know, if she's one of the lucky ones and does escape, she lands at some airport with no relationships with anyone, maybe a suitcase, and then has to start over. It just, I mean, she said she was literally out shopping or going to the bank when the Taliban showed up and she had to go home. It's like, if this happened to any of us, it's just hard hard to understand. Yes, they knew that this was coming, but they all thought they had months and that the U.S. would create a security protection mm-hmm. for a while and there would be a slow transition to adapt. They just didn't expect a sudden overnight shift to what could be barbarism. Yeah, absolutely. And she she also said, you know, not everybody has a male relative. Like, I, not everybody has somebody that can escort them. Like, there are some women that are straight up stuck in their homes and they do not know when they can leave. It's insane. The other thing I didn't realize, like you can't go out with a guy without a guy. So some, she said, some people are going out with like their little brother who's seven and you could be, you could be 40 and you need like a five-year-old boy nephew to take you out. Right. It's one of the other things I hadn't really processed is under Taliban rule. It was required that women must see women health practitioners. So you can only get a checkup, even if you're pregnant from a woman nurse or doctor or health practitioner, but the Taliban doesn't allow women to get educated. So under the Taliban, there are no female health practitioners. So women get no health care when the Taliban comes back into power. It's, it's not even an imaginable life. No, absolutely not at all. So um, obviously her identity is concealed in this interview. She did share some details about her background, which you said she, she works. I think she said she was an activist, right? Actually, she's an office professional inside a very institutional corporate environment. Her okay. activism is in her free time as herself separately. Got it. Got it. So we're going to play the first 10 minutes after this conversation. What else do you, what should people know about her and the life she's had for the last 20 years before they listen to this interview? She is a um, sort of energetic, uh, super engaged person who planned to have a big career. And um, she is a very get it done kind of person. You know, she's just like uh, has quick solutions, is very in action. And she really wants this out because she wants more people talking about She's like, if this is going to happen to us, I want the world to be rattled. I want to know the world knows and cares the way they care about so many other issues. Do we rate? Are we worth your time and attention? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And when I read that, when I listened to this, and I think our listeners will find this too, like you can't forget about it. You're not going to forget about it. So just by her putting it out there, at least people have to acknowledge they're making a choice not to act. Um mm-hmm. thank you so much for for coming and for sharing with this. So people can listen to the full interview where. Um, on my Instagram at Jessica Yellen um, or on YouTube under my name or news, not noise. It's spelled Y E L L I N. And I also list resources, but you guys do too, where you can give and support. And thank you for all your coverage. And for this time, it's so important. Thank you. Thank you. And the second half is really powerful because she's very frank about the role America has played, how she feels about the global community. And it is, um, 
we, everybody needs to hear it. I think it's a really powerful interview. So take it in and visit uh, at Jessica Yellen for the rest. Thank you so much. Thank you. Hi, it worked. Yeah, it did. How are you? I am well. How are you? I'm Aura. I'm so glad to talk to you. Jessica, can I just like recall you because our electricity came and I need to switch to Wi-Fi? Oh, yeah. Call me, uh, call me back. Hello? Hi. Hi again. Okay, so now we can do our interview. Great. What just happened? Your electricity had been out? Yes, it was out for a few hours, but currently it's like better than the normal times. So let me back up for just a moment. I want to say I'm I'm going to be very careful not to reveal any details about you except that you're in Afghanistan and I'm thankful for your time and you're okay with me recording this conversation so people can hear what's going on yes yes but you you're altering my voice right? yes I will do that we will do that can you help people understand why that's important to you why is it important you remain anonymous yes because like if you type my name on Google there would come like a lot of information about me because I have tried to be an active participant in developing Afghanistan and raising the voice of women and children and different people in my society. And now I don't feel as safe with my work and with, and especially my family's security. I don't want to sort of put that in danger. What are you afraid would happen? To me or? To you and to your family. Well... I'm afraid that I'd be forced uh, forced to marry a Taliban. I'm afraid to be raped or tortured or killed. And to my family, it's the same. I'm afraid that uh, my activities or whatever I did on social media or on my society or my work would sort of put my sisters in danger because they don't like being as active or... Uh, you know, they don't like social, being in social media as much. And I think that uh, if I give like such interviews with my own identity, it would not only put me at risk, but then too. So the Taliban has made some public statements saying that they're different now. They want women in government. Women will have rights. You don't buy it? Well, uh, I don't buy it because uh, the province my family is from, my relatives used to, women, female relatives used to work, and uh, when they took over that province, uh, they just like banned those females from going to work, and they had to resettle in Kabul. And I don't buy it because right now it's like the, the whole world is uh, focusing on Afghanistan and what's happening, and it, uh, like, you know, it's like since these past two days, we didn't have this much attention uh, for the past, I don't know, two to three months that we have been shouting and asking for help. Nobody heard it, but because currently everybody's focus is on Afghanistan, I think the, uh, the, the Taliban have put these statements saying that, oh, we would let women do this, do that, but if, uh, if this, like, you know, focus doesn't last uh, for more than I don't know, one month or one month is too much, but I think it would, this focus would end in maybe 10 days or more or less. And uh, after that, I think they would go back to their own policies or if we could call that or 
barbarism. You said that people have been raising their voice there for a few months. Can you say a little more about that? What have activists been warning? What have those voices been saying? It was all over the social media. And even before that, they are telling that, please don't, don't, don't let, like, you know, our, our army, in most of the provinces, the army were not allowed to fight. They were just, like, sort of ordered to surrender without a fight. And it, it's like there, it was ordered. Most of the army uh, I personally talked to, uh, they say that we were ordered to just leave and we couldn't fight back. By whom? By the central government and by the uh, sort of generals uh, from their centers and the capital. You said that there were people raising their voices for months before now. What were they saying? The the activists. So, yeah, they were saying that, like, you know, they were asking the U.S. to not leave so suddenly and at least, like, prepare people so people would know where they stand. And it was like a shock. I'm still dumbstruck. And I, I never saw this coming. Really? Yes, I never saw this coming. I was on my way to, uh, like, the date Taliban seized Kabul. I was on my way to, to go to a bank uh, with my sister. And we, we were, like, on the street, and suddenly there were, like, at least two, three hundred armies going to, uh, to the Polcharki uh, area because uh, Taliban released the prisoners. And... There was like roadblock. I, w- I, I left home at like 10.30 and I got back home at 4, p- uh, 4 in the evening because it was too much traffic and people were packing. So nobody saw this coming. And the moment they saw, everybody was rushing to the airport and to leave. And these international organizations add this because I have friends working with some of these organizations and based on what they say, like, uh, the their organization said that whenever the Taliban enter uh, the surrounding area of Kabul, they would evacuate their stuff. So yeah, it was a whole chaos and nobody saw this coming. Without revealing any specifics, can you give us a sense of where you are? Are you hiding in your house? Have you been out of the house with a male chaperone? What's your day like now? Again, I'm like, uh, I'm very shocked, like really shocked and uh, I, I couldn't even like sort of brush my teeth since the past two, three, two, two days, two, three days, yeah, since they came. And uh, just today I managed to take a shower because I, I couldn't like process it. It's really happening and I didn't go out, but my sister did and my mother did, but they had to go with my father and with my uncle, but yeah, they had to like, you know, sort of alter their dressing and wear masks and, um, yeah, masks, but yeah, and scarf tightly and more conservative. Were they told, has there been any notification to the population from the Taliban that you must dress differently now, or are people just assuming those are the rules and doing it protectively? That's a good question, but uh, I think, uh, I think uh, they had these uh, memos all around the Taliban, uh, telling women to uh, dress appropriately, so uh, and because people have experience of uh, witnessing these violences, say for instance in one of the provinces in one of the districts uh, in uh, in Badakhshan, 
a girl went out with uh, jeans underneath her uh, burqa, and she was stopped by the Taliban and beaten up because she had jeans under her uh, burqa. So, so yeah, it's like because people also have the sense, but Kabul, Kabul right now is much different than what's happening in the province. Kabul is more calm, but Kabul is not the whole Afghanistan. We should like you know consider that. And uh, yes, and also in Kandahar, there was this report that Taliban went to the bank and told the uh, female employees of the bank that because uh, they wearing they weren't wearing chadari or burqa, they told them to leave home. But like, from the next time, they have to come with a maram, a male member of the family, and with uh, a burqa. Can you tell us your a professional woman, do you expect that you'll be able to continue working? I mean, like, the organization I work for uh, is also not uh, continuing to work in Afghanistan. They're evacuating. So uh, I don't think so. What kind of rumors are going around right now? You're clearly online, so I imagine you must be in touch with friends. What are you hearing from around the country what are you hearing from your friends right now? My my friends, my friends are shocked, especially those friends that don't have a male family member. Uh, they are like scared to death because yes, and also uh, in uh, in Qandar, like sorry, Tahor, in Tahor, uh, some of my friends said that the Taliban went to uh, people's home to uh, sort of take women and force them to marry them. And uh, I met uh, one of these people in the IDP camps in Kabul, uh, just like uh, just like last week, when a lot of people had to leave their homes and come to Kabul for security. I talked to one of the women from Takhar, and she said that a uh, Taliban came to her home, and uh, my dad was scared, like this is her narrative, she said, my dad was scared, and he told the Taliban that his uh, daughter, his wife, his second wife, so he could protect her. And then the Taliban asked that, um, so uh, why did you, why do you have a second wife? And the man says that because my work, my first wife couldn't bear children. So the Taliban goes like, okay, keep your second wife, I'm taking your first wife. Like, so he actually takes the girl's mother with himself and leaves and the father and this girl, they had fled uh, Tahar and come to Kabul. The Betches Sub Podcast is produced by Amanda Duberman, Jorge Morales Pico, and Sean Kilby. Editing by Jorge Morales Pico. Social media by Amanda Duberman. Be sure to follow at Betches underscore SUP on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And send us your emails to SUPPod at Betches.com. Betches.